The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Group. All aboard. Here comes the sun. Welcome to The Quiet Carriage and welcome to Radiothon 2020. A big thank you to Bradley and Madeline from Femi Fortissimo. I can't really say that, but I think I got there. (laughs) Playing great music as always. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can give us a call, 54724376. Or if you're a bit shy, you can visit mainfm.net. There are over, I think it's $10,000 in prizes. Uh, There's glamping, there's... A lot of wine, a lot of gin, a lot of gig passes. There's a lot of everything, actually. It would take me about 10 minutes to go through it. If I have some time at the end, I will go through that for you. But also, as a a little bit extra from the show, I've also got five copies of Kirsten Kreuth's book, Almost a Mirror, to give away to five subscribers to The Quiet Carriage. So please give us a call, 54724376, and you can go in the running for them. You'll not only be supporting community radio, but you'll also be keeping my show in the air, and you might get a free book out of it as well. So a big thank you to Kirsten Crowth and to the publisher Transit Lounge for making that happen. Happen Today, as it's Radiothon and as we're Castlemaine-based, I wanted to focus on a Castlemaine author, and they don't come much bigger or better than Kirsten Crowth at the moment. Her book, Almost a Mirror, is everywhere, and quite rightly so. I want to read you a little bit from the book's blurb, rather. Like fireflies to the light, Mona, Benny, and Jimmy are drawn into the elegantly wasted orbit of the crystal ballroom and the post-punk scene of 80s Melbourne, a world that includes Nick Cave and Dodge, a photographer pushing his art to the edge. With precision and richness, Kirsten Crowth hauntingly evokes the power of music to infuse our lives while diving deep into loss, beauty, innocence, and agency. Filled with unforgettable characters, the novel is above all about the shapes that love can take and the many ways we express tenderness throughout a lifetime. As it moves between the Blue Mountains and Melbourne, Sydney and Castlemaine, Almost a Mirror reflects on the healing power of creativity and the everyday sacredness of family and friendship in the face of unexpected tragedy. And this is a little bit about Kirsten herself. Kirsten Crowth is an author and arts journalist who lives in Castlemaine, Australia. Her writing has been published in The Guardian, Saturday Paper, Monthly, Age, Sydney Morning Herald, and Overland. She's inspired by photography, pop and punk, film, other writers, and growing up in the 80s. Almost a Mirror was shortlisted for the Penguin Literary Prize, and her first novel is Just a Girl. For more on the book, visit Almost a Mirror on Instagram or search Almost a Mirror on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music to hear the playlist. And it is a fantastic playlist, and I'll be playing some of that for you today. I wanted to get Kirsten in live, but unfortunately she's up in Canberra working on a podcast, which will be out later on in the year. But she did come in last week, and we did record an interview with her. I'm going to play a little bit of that for you right now. 
Kirsten Croth, thank you so much for coming on The Quiet Carriage and being a part of 2020 Radiothon. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. I know it's been a huge time for you with your book, Almost the Mirror, coming out, and also this, uh, this little thing called COVID that's going around that's caused you to rejig all your promotion uh, I understand you've had to homeschool your kids as well. Which, That's right. As I know, is not easy. I appreciate how hard that is. So thank you so much for coming in. How crazy has the last few months been for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I never could have expected it. You know, you work seven years on a book mm. and, um, and it, it came out of a PhD as well. So, I mean, you never know it's going to be published in the first place. But, you know, you... I was lining up all the all these gigs and um, festivals, and about two weeks before the book was due to come out, first of April, they all got they all mm. got cancelled. And yeah, so it was just I mean it's just been um, a matter of being um, having a bit of an experiment yep. with what you can do, mm-hmm. you know, and having to sort of readjust your thinking in in terms of the idea that you're not actually going to be able to talk to readers. Mm-hmm. Directly, which is always the the nicest thing about launching yeah. a book is when you have that sort of personal connection with people. Of course. Um, so you know, doing it through media and interviews like this has been the way yeah. to do it. Yeah. And it's had to, and the book has had to um, uh, kind of morph into something else, which has actually been quite fun. Yeah, yeah. So you had some huge plans for the book. Can you talk a little bit about them and and how you've had to adapt them because of COVID? Yeah, well, the book is set up um, as a mixtape of 80s songs. Mm-hmm. So the structure of it is uh, as a mixtape and all every chapter is a, a different 80s song. Mm-hmm. So the idea always was um, when the book came out was that I was going to work with musicians mm-hmm. and do a series of, of gigs and events like at Bendigo Writers Festival. We, we were supposed to be on. We yes. We have a panel. That's right. Oh, no. That's right. That's oh. another thing that went. I spoke to Rosemary. Apparently something's going to happen. So Okay, we'll, good. We'll see. We'll see. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was doing a gig there with uh, Peter Fenton mm-hmm. and I was doing launches here and in Melbourne and Canberra and Sydney uh, with Michelangelo, mm-hmm. Michael Simich. Uh, so uh, they all got cancelled, but we'd done a fair bit of rehearsing. So it morphed into, it's turned into doing a podcast about okay. the the songs that are in the book. Okay. So it's like a history of 80, early 80s music. Right. Yeah, and yeah. a podcast per song. Wow. Yeah. So how so, long will that be for? Will it be an ongoing thing? or uh, That's 12 episodes. I got a, um, a fellowship from the Uni of Canberra mm-hmm. where I did my PhD. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of covering, um, you know, covering expenses and, and working with the musicians Great. and fees yeah. and things. Yeah, so that'll that'll roll out. I haven't really started it yet except for doing some music. Yeah. Um, but that'll roll out towards the end of the year and it'll be a 12-part series and it'll be half an hour mm-hmm. each, Wonderful. each song. We'll look out for that. Yeah. Wonderful. And you're also responsible for the Facebook page 
writers it's a bit of a mouthful writers you could have had something simple here <laughs> i wanted everyone to know exactly what it was <laughs> here i go writers go forth launch promote party so says so, everything it does it does so it's a facebook page that you uh, established correct me if i'm wrong for writers who've had their launches cancelled due to covid um and it's got over 2,000 members now. Everyone in the industry seems to be talking about it. Did you have any idea that it would be this big? Absolutely no <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, it, it came out of, I did it, I set it up the day after all my yeah. things got cancelled. Yeah. And I was sort of in, a, in, a, in despair. Yeah. And I just thought, I mean, that's the way my brain works, really. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, what can I do here? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got... You know, I know a lot of people through the work that I do as an editor as well, mm-hmm. a lot of writers. And I actually set it up thinking there'd probably be about 20 people, mm. you know, that we could support each other. Mm-hmm. And I just had no idea how many books come out. I mean, that was the exciting thing. You mm. know, there were – it yeah, got to a 1,000 yeah. people in a couple of days. Wow. And – just a beautiful supportive mm-hmm. community you know and everyone was in that sort of initial kind of shock of it mm-hmm. and so they were just thinking you know what are we going to do yep. uh and it was sort of the process of thinking oh everyone kind of rushed in to do online launches and yeah. and trying to work out zoom and yeah um it's kind of sort of settled down now as people realize you know they that things are going to be okay yeah um but it was fantastic. I mean, it just helped me because it meant I could get out of my own kind of yeah. where I was at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's been and such it's, a good network. Yeah. yeah, it's been fantastic. And you realise just how many books have been coming out during this period yeah. every few days of someone with a new book. Yeah, so that's right. Great. And uh, anyone can go on the page. Yes, Is it's for right? readers yeah, as yeah. well. I really yeah. was hoping to get readers and publishers and library, people from libraries, yeah. um, so that everyone's drawn together. Yeah. And I like the idea now when I set, you know, when I set it up, I was always sort of thinking, mm-hmm. oh, why not just keep it going? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't yeah, have to now be course. about people yeah. um, whose books, you know, mm-hmm. aren't coming out. But, um, yeah, it can just keep extending. Yeah. And, because there's not many forums for people, understandably, for people to promote their mm-hmm. books because, yep. you know, it, it can drive people insane after a while. <laughs> but it's – we've been um, – I've I've sort of I'm not moderating it so much now that I'm promoting my book, um, but it's had mod- other moderators and yeah we're mm-hmm. pretty careful in terms of what goes through so it's yeah. just had a a really nice feel to it and mm-hmm. um, you know it's not being spammed or anything it's just had a really lovely feel to mm-hmm. to it yeah mm, so that's writers go forth launch promote party and it's for readers as well and there's so many resources resources on there there's Zoom launches. All sorts, yeah. So basically it's filling the void that we've had uh, because of the lack of launches. And it really supports bookstores too. Yes. Like indie bookstores have been so incredibly important Mm -hmm. to us. You know, I mean, they've taken on – it's almost like they've taken on the writers in that group. They've taken them on personally to Mm -hmm. support them, you know, people going out on their bikes and hand-delivering books like, you know, Northern Books here. Yeah. It's been quite – Incredible, and I think a lot of people, um, myself included, I think my book might have done even better than it would have anyway, which mm-hmm. is amazing because of bookstores. Mm-hmm. You know, because they 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 they're selling it in person on the phone or whatever, yeah. and then they're hand delivering it or emailing people personal notes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's pretty pretty remarkable, really. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about your book. 
Um, congratulations. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you. Almost a mirror. It's an outstanding achievement. Uh, reads almost, I felt a bit like poetry because a lot of the paragraphs, I wouldn't say most of the paragraphs, but a lot of them are just a sentence long. Mm. And it works almost as a, a love letter to the Australian music scene of the 80s as well. You know, each title is named after a song. We had this uh, What's My Scene, uh, Love is a Battlefield, Cars, and, and on and on. Uh, and it's also, it's also a bit of a love letter to Castlemaine as well. And I love the 80s Castlemaine elements that you had in there. You know, you talk of the, the Theatre Royale, the bridge, um, club nights that existed in Castlemaine and how we had two video shops, which I don't know because I've only been here two years. When did you grow up here in the 80s? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I moved here about eight years ago. Right. Yeah. So I wasn't I wasn't here, but I did. I did speak to a lot of people, you know, who did grow up here. Right. Yeah. Just to, to get their sense of of place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I guess you know people have very strong memories if if they haven't moved away. Mm-hmm. You know they've seen the town evolve. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was most interested in music though. Yeah. 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 It really, it really took me back there. How has Castlemaine informed your work as a writer? Yes, I mean it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place to live. I mean, and it's a it's a thriving cultural community, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's given me um, the inspiration to work here because there are just so many other writers um, and musicians and artists who mm-hmm. live who live around, mm-hmm. and it's a very supportive place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I came from Sydney, and it was just such All a right. such a different. I mean, I come from Melbourne originally. Mm-hmm. I've moved around a lot, but I was twelve years in Sydney mm-hmm. before I came here. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, obviously extremely dif- different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there, I never had that sense of community there in terms of writing. Mm-hmm. So it's been wonderful. And like when I got here in, within the first um, couple of weeks, I was in a fantastic writers group mm-hmm. with Martine Murray and Simone mm-hmm. Howell and Anna Hedigan, who's in this building. Um, yeah, so it was it's been incre- incredible as a nurturing place. Mm-hmm. And I also have, you know, my kids here too. Yep. So yeah. And they love it. They love it here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great place, definitely. That was part one of my interview with the author Kirsten Crowth talking about her brilliant new novel, Almost a Mirror. We have some subscribers. A big thank you to Scott Ashby for subscribing to The Quiet Carriage. Uh, Another Scott, Scott Wilson, all the way down there in Fairfield. Cheers, Scott. Uh, Maria Alessandrino. I believe is in Perth, and someone by the name of Teresa Laverty. I wonder if that is any relation to me. It is. It's my mother and my dad. So thank you very much for subscribing there. And there is also a subscriber for the previous show, Bradley and Madeline's Femi Fortissimo. Uh, We had Annabelle O'Rogan with, uh, oh, and also Spotty Bob, whoever Spotty Bob is, subscribing to that show. So they go in the draw. For all those wonderful prizes, please give us a call, 54724376, or jump on at mainfm.net, and you could get amongst the winners. Um, in addition to the interview I did with Kirsten Crowth, uh, she also recorded some quite startling recordings of her reading chapters of the book, and this is backed with music. 
Now, here's a chapter, uh, it's called Zoo Music Girl, and she recorded this with the musician Michelangelo, and here it is for you. In the beginning, there is darkness. The camera is shaking in his hands until he puts it on the tripod. It is much heavier than he remembered. The most important thing is to keep it all steady. Benny dangles on a platform just metres from the roof. He likes looking down on the ballroom, as if he's swinging on the chandelier. People forget he's up here. The birthday parties start off aimless. They're wasted men. Nick wanders about on stage like a deranged kid at a debutante ball. Tracy drifts. Tracy's hat shelters his face, leather pants reflecting the lights as he sweats. But as Nick starts to bump into him, Tracy wields his bass like a machine gun starting to fire. The repetitive bass line drowns the band, ritualistic, the one chord that builds a mood of menace, working as a mantra for the crowd, exercising something from their souls. It's Roland who appears to do the work, all interior, wearing horizontal stripes, cigarette dangling at the corner of his mouth. The way he plays is frantic. Benny finds the intensity frightening. But as Roland leans inwards, his guitar takes on the jarring whine of feedback, a broken bottle to the ears. Benny gets caught up in Roland's loop of sound and wants to know how he does it. The guitar at a certain angle as he sculpts noise, a violation that enters the body that's not meant to happen, channeling an animal that comes in and out of his control. Nick stumbles around with his large, rolling head the mic is jammed up to his mouth. A toddler clutching a bottle of milk in his fists, fearful of another kid grabbing it. Alive together as a hollow tooth. Spit out the shells, spit out the shells. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Rattle those sticks, rattle those sticks. The sound is beautiful, it's perfect. Out of her young legs in stockings, and the rhythm of her walk, it's beautiful. Let it twist, just let it break, let it buckle, let it bend. I wanna hear the sound of my two music girl, two music girl, two music Nick pulses the beat with one clenched hand. Benny can see Guy to the side of stage. Playing roadie, waiting for the fall. Nick disappears for a while. He comes back with a canvas, carrying it like a warrior shield. He tries to scale the PA stack but keeps falling down. He stutters, on, on, on his knees. Benny watches him, trying to anticipate his movements and keep him in the frame. Nick moves so quickly, but Benny's watched him enough. It's Jenny's. An original oil painting neat across the canvas. Nick plays it like a wobble board before flinging it into the audience. And as it sails through the air, Benny captures its arc before it lands and is belted about by the crowd. The girls at the front watch the band like they're in line for a beheading, waiting for Nick to be monstrous to hurt them. The lights roam their faces, macabre in the twilight. Roll up for the freak show. You can see the platinum gleams of Connie's hair. She's focused on Tracy and she'll be flexing her fingers, playing along. 
The girls stand together in the centre, hoping to be chosen, glittering in the mirrors where Nick can see them reflected along with his own face. Nick pretends not to see them. He's locked in battle with his songs, the band and the audience too. Only occasionally does he surrender and let his body give in. But is a monster driven insane My heart's a fish toasted by the flames I kiss the hem of her skirt I murder her dress till it hurts I murder her dress and she loves it If there's a one thing I desire in this world That's to make love to my music girl Nick flings his hands out behind him and chops off Roland's cigarette, knocking it from his mouth. The ember burns into Nick's hand and he keeps going before he screams. Nick and Roland look like colour has never entered their world, flickering through black and white film. Benny's eyes move from one to the other, trying to decide who would rather be. The audience doesn't sing, but they know every pulse of it. They feel its physical effect, the landscape it travels through. But what they are really waiting for is to see Nick go manic. Benny waits for it too. That transition to some unknown space where things move from edgy to dangerous. Through it all, McCarvey plays in the shadows. Nick leans out into the audience with his long arms and grabs the graceful pale hand of a girl. He pulls her up on stage. She's in a short velvet dress and is not sure what to do now she's up there. She starts to sway, turn to Nick. Eyes only for Nick. He drapes himself around her, a praying mantis about to devour its prey, an ugly insect. Nick grabs the lead and swings the mic like a lasso over Tracy's head. It clunks to the ground, sending a shock through the amps, and Guy runs to get it, bent like a servant. Guy puts it back up on the mic stand. Nick grabs it and teases, drops it again, thump. Guy just leaves it. Tracy's drunk and he's starting to sway. Guy props him up with one hand, waiting for him to go face down. Benny zooms in on Connie and hopes it happens. She'll want to jump in and take over. The girl puts her arms around Nick and dances in front of him, whipping his body with her dark hair as he winds the lead around her neck. She dances near him, sullen, as he takes her by the arm and tries to drag her back into the wilderness. But she doesn't want to go back. Nick turns away from her, no longer interested, a discarded toy dropped from his tarantula hands. Nick lies on the front of the stage, face level with the crowd. He plays to the people, the waves of his lyrics rolling out. His body shakes like he's having electric shock therapy. The sound is beautiful, it's perfect. I call her name out in the night. Zoo Music Girl, Zoo Music Girl. I call her by her family name. Zoo Music Girl, Zoo Music Girl. Oh God, let me die beneath her fists. Zoo Music Girl. He dangles the mic and rolls off stage, falling into the dark river of hands, disappearing below the crowd. He surfaces and tries to swim from the stage, and as he strokes, 
the girl on stage starts to move away too. The mic lead, a lazy loop. Benny waves from the platform trying to get Guy's attention. As Nick is surfed by the crowd, the lead gets tighter. Benny makes a cutting gesture to Nick Harvey to stop the show, but he doesn't look up. The girl's body starts to float away. Nick Harvey and Roland on either side of the stage stand there looking at each other while staccato drums continue the attack. And as the girl goes under, the crowd can now see. They rise up and start pushing Nick back to shore as he finishes the song, the girl floating with him. As she reaches the stage, Guy runs on and tries to loosen the lifeline, pulling the lead. An angry groove cuts into her neck. Nick bends to pick her up and lifts the noose above the girl's head. He turns to the audience, palms outstretched. He holds the girl out to them, dangling in his arms. A lifeless girl, pale skin, long dark hair, a sacred offering.
That was The Go-Betweens there with Spring Rain, which is the title of a chapter from Kirsten Krauss' book Almost a Mirror and also features on the soundtrack that you can listen to on Spotify. And before that, we heard the track, or the reading rather, Zoo Music Girl, which uh, was read there by Kirsten Krauss. How good was that? It was amazing. Also featuring Michelangelo there on guitar and on vocals. We're definitely going to play some more of those recordings a little bit later on. Up until then, though, let's uh, go back and hear part two of the interview I did last week with the author Kirsten Crowth. So you said the novel took you seven years to write. What Can you talk us a little bit through that, through those seven years and what it entailed? Sure. Uh, my first novel took seven years as well. Right, yeah. <laughs> that seems to be a, a thing. <laughs> Hopefully not the next one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it started off um, just as an idea and mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do a PhD in creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to, when I'm, when I'm studying, I'm, I'm looking for a men- like a mentor you know, mm-hmm. as a supervisor, that's the way I like to work. Mm-hmm. So I found a, a guy called Ross Gibson who's in right. Uni of Canberra. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I applied and, and got a scholarship and could do it remotely and mm-hmm. work with him. Yes. And, yeah, it started off being more about photography mm-hmm. and that's still a thread that goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I interviewed a few people about um, and the ballroom came up. Mm-hmm. People like Doug Falconer, who lives here. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of looking at punk and post-punk mm-hmm. Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I found just, you know, all the, the resources fascinating. And I thought, oh, you know, it hasn't really been used much in fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just found it a really exciting period mm-hmm. to, to look at. And so that was, you know, that sort of took me to um, to four years and... Then it mm-hmm. takes a while to get published as well. Mm-hmm. So it's usually yeah. it usually takes a long time. I write in fragments and I write even though it's sort of it takes me a long time to kind of get it down to that poetry mm-hmm. sense. Yep, yep. Um and the fragments it's all about the structure and that takes mm-hmm. quite you know, that takes a while for it mm-hmm. to to come together in some sense. Mm. I love yeah. the structure. Like I imagine there was a lot of rewriting. Yes, or just sort of chopping up, um, chopping up Mm -hmm. all the original chapters. And I interviewed um, because I'm also an arts journalist, and I Mm -hmm. and I work and I do things for Saturday Paper and Guardian. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed a writer called um, Sarah Santillis from the States, who did a book called Draw Your Weapons. Mm -hmm. And it's all it's um, nonfiction, but it's all written in fragments. And I just learned so much from her. And she, you know, she did it hundreds of times in terms of sort of chopping up things and, and putting them on the floor and making them thematic mm-hmm. and um, and then just like being really um, brutal and, you know, getting rid of most of them. Mm. And uh, I just thought, oh, that's the way I need to work. I need to actually physically have, have the paper. Like I handwrite as well. I don't mm-hmm. tend to type until quite late in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I love that sort of physical the physical element of doing mm-hmm. that and the, and the processes that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it's also because the book's so much about memory. I think mm-hmm. memories yes. are kind of like that too. Yeah. You know, the way they fragments kind of jump together mm-hmm. to form some kind of overarching narrative. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not always obvious at the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So the story centers around a, a young couple from when they're teenagers, right on until they're in the the forties, I believe. I, I really love this. Did that story come to you before the idea of doing the book centered around music, or was that? Did the story sort of grow out of that? The the story grew out of the songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the songs came yeah, first. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first song in the book is Change in Mood. Mm-hmm. And that's the very first thing I wrote. Like the first line in there is the first thing I wrote. Mm, right. And so Mona came out of that song, Change in Mood. Right. Like the feeling of her and a photograph. Right, yeah. Uh, and so I was, yeah, so all of, all of the characters were born, I think, out of out of the music. Right. So the music would have come first. Yeah. yeah. And were you part of that scene, the music scene that you're writing of? Um, I There's sort of two scenes in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's almost like a I wanted, wanted it to be a clash between pop mm-hmm. and p- post-punk. Yes. So I wanted those sort of to come yeah. together. Uh, and my scene was much more Mona. Um, I was really... Um, obsessed with right. count, Countdown. Yeah. I don't know if you know Countdown. Yep, of course. Um, so I grew up with Countdown and yep. I moved around a lot as a kid. So music was kind of the constant for me. Mm-hmm. So listening, you know, always listening to um, American Top 40. And and mm-hmm. so my taste in music, you know, it was very mainstream. I was the new romantic, you know, Duran mm-hmm. Duran, Spandau Ballet and, right, yeah. and Kids in the, Kids in the Kitchen, yeah. all the music that was kind of laughed at <laughs> at the time. Uh, I got into Nick Cave later, mm-hmm. but as a teenager, uh, I would say that my tastes were pretty daggy uh, until The Cure came along in New Order and then I started to sort of shift into mm-hmm. that more alternative mm. style of music. Right. Yeah. And have you been a musician at all? I. It's interesting. It's a question that keeps coming up for me now because mm-hmm. of being in isolation because uh, when it's made me realize that I wanted to be a musician, you know, when I was mm. at when I was at high school, I learnt I learnt four or five instruments and I learnt singing, and then when I left school, it never happened again. You mm-hmm. know, I just never I never pursued it, mm-hmm. and I've sort of been wondering if this book is sort of my way to get back into it in mm-hmm. a way. You know, many many years later, yeah, because yeah. I, I started um, learning the the guitar <laughs> over the yeah. last couple of months and. It sort of it started to come easily, yep. and I thought, oh yeah, I think this book is a way of you know I'm collaborating with musicians now, and I get a lot of, I'm, you know, I'm really excited about that, and I get a lot of energy about that. Yep. So I'm thinking maybe it's my way of pursuing it in some sense, <laughs> being a rock star now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you've worked so hard in promoting the book. Is that tailing off now, or do you still have more commitments onto the end of the year, apart from the podcast, of course? Yeah, um, it's. I think there's a little bit more to go. I mean, there it never really ends. Mm-hmm. Um, but the end of, you know, June, I've got, um, I've got a Q and A coming up and a gig coming mm-hmm. up, and I haven't actually had the, the book launches yet. So right. I think they'll still happen. So you will? It'll just, yeah. I'll, I think I'd love to do that because yep. now the readers will have read it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that'll be really lovely, mm-hmm. you know, because I've I've had so many people approach me. I think mm-hmm. also because of what's been happening people have time to do that Mm -hmm. so people I don't know just um message messaging me a lot you know just saying what the books meant to them and uh 
telling their stories of what it was like mm-hmm. to be at the ballroom and yeah, right. yeah it's really beautiful yeah yeah oh, that's so it's touched them in in that sense I mean I you know my aim with the book was always to um have a sense of being there mm-hmm. even though I haven't been but having having that emotional connection to the time and so yeah because yeah, I think it's you know emotion and memory and music are also interlinked so mm-hmm. it's yeah it's meant a lot to me to yeah. for people to say oh I've, you know you were were you there and I was like no, yeah. no I haven't no I wasn't but it, it for me as a writer that's a very exciting thing to hear it must be wonderful yeah because yeah, you do you paint that picture so well of being there yeah. What about your own writing now? Like, have you thought about the the next book? Have you had time to? <laughs> I haven't had any time. I mean, it's been hard enough to find time to promote the book, which has been really a bit frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I haven't felt like writing anything. I've only felt like doing music. Um, I have written a song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. I, I'm always interested in different genres. So I've been thinking about um, a children's book that I've right, had, yes. like, you know, you know, geared towards sort of 11 and 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And I've had that percolating for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking I might do that just, just for something different and to get me back into yep. the rhythm of it. But that won't be set around the 1980s St Kilda music scene. No, it won't. <laughs> no, it won't. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, it Actually, could you be. never know because all my books always end up having teenage girls in them. Yeah, so, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand you were planning a tour, have I got this right, with Michelangelo as well? Yes, is yes. That, is that something that you think could happen? Uh, well, we've got a first um, gig, live streaming gig coming oh. up in Canberra, mm-hmm. 24th of June. Mm-hmm. And yes, we've been rehearsing the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's part, part of a podcast and the podcast and also Richard Andrew from Underground Lovers. Yes, he's he's right. mixing. Wonderful. He's mixing and producing and he plays all the instruments. Um, Peter Fenton. The the idea is there are other musicians like Amanda Brown from mm-hmm. um, Go Betweens. So the idea is that, yeah, at some point it'll we'll get all those musicians on stage yep. and I'll do some readings and then they'll do with the musicians and then they'll do versions of the songs mm-hmm. as well. So Wonderful. it's... Um, yeah, it'll be a celebration of mm-hmm. of that early eighties music because some of it's. I mean, all of it is so incredibly good. Mm, you know, if you listen to so it, well, yeah, yeah, and it, it dis it's kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to to um, yeah, really go into it and see the impact mm-hmm. of those songs. Yeah. Now, hopefully, that can be in Castlemaine as well. I yes, see that at the theatre for sure. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. We're onto it. We're onto it. <laughs> Kirsten Craith, thank you so much for being on The Quiet Carriage and playing a part in Radiothon. Your novel, Almost a Mirror, is out now via Transit Lounge. It's available now at Stone Man's, Northern Books, and yes. at all good bookstores. That's right. Um, best of luck with it. And we hope to get you back on the show at some point, hopefully within the next seven years. <laughs> yes. The next novel's coming out. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Thank you so much. It's thank been you. lovely. Here comes the sun. 
Main FM's Radiothon is commencing on winter solstice when all the days are going to get a little bit longer and a little bit brighter. We're going to be asking you to reach into your pocket and subscribe to your favourite and award-winning community radio station Main FM. We need you like never before. Community radio has never been more important to you. So tune in between the 20th and the 27th of June. Subscribe by ringing 54724376 or simply go into mainfm.net. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM. That was the second part of my interview with the author, Kirsten Crowth, talking about her book, Almost a Mirror. And we have had more subscribers. Jenny Valentish. I know Jenny. Hello, Jenny. Thank you for subscribing. And we also had Rhonda. No second name there. She has subscribed to the show Yakety Yak. So thank you so much again for that. And you can join these people by calling 5472-4376. Let's hear some more of those recordings. They were debuted last Wednesday, I do believe, as part of the Wednesday Night Book Club. So we can't claim it to be a premiere, but they are pretty new. Let's play, this is the track... Uh, named after the chapter Barbados and the music comes from Peter Fenton who you might remember from the models and here it is Almost a Mirror is a novel by Kirsten Krauth it's a mixtape of 80s songs the music is by Peter Fenton Melbourne 2018 The venue is part of an industrial estate lined up between the mechanics and bunnings in wall-to-wall concrete. Easy to get a park. Part RSL, part pokies, part bistro, part bottolo. The stage is squeezed between reserved tables and two giant plasma screens showing the footy. A dance floor the size of a bathroom as an afterthought. Benyart came home from the first gig with his pockets full of women's mobile numbers scratched on beer coasters. He laid them out like a collage on the kitchen table. The next day, the band's Facebook page was full of women remembering how they came of age to his soundtrack. The next day, Mona made herself admin of the band's Facebook page. Mona holds her glass of champers and wavers on the edge of faux tiles and wood. Bald men in plaid and denim stand in a row against the walls, fat wallflowers wilting over beers resting on stomachs. The women stake a place centre front, blonde hair, want to have fun, sleek wet seal leggings. Shoes they still can't walk in after all these years. When Dire Straits' money for nothing comes over the speakers, Mona nearly turns around and walks out the door. The lights go down at 9pm and the crowd keeps talking. The voice of Countdown, Gavin Wood, booms from the speakers and reminds the audience that nearly everyone from the 80s is dead. It's been a long time since she's caught up with Michelle. She can't see her yet. She said she'd be late. One by one, the singers come on and parade the passing of time, the excess, the Oz rocker, the new romantic the middle of the road, the one who straddles them all, the pop and punk divide. 
She knows every word, even of the songs she hated back then. Different women scream for different singers. Bruce wears the blonde mullet and the tiny girl frame and jeans so tight he sprouts a muffin top and shows his Bond Scots. He rotates his hips and grinds into a woman in the front row, standing at crotch height. At one point she reaches up and puts ten bucks into his butt crack, a human slot machine. She mashes his face into her breasts. By the end of the song, Bruce is lying down and the roadie has to walk on stage and drag him off. The opening bars of Change In Mood bloom into Mona's skin as Scott Kahn walks out for the first time, wearing a black t-shirt that has a photo of Chopper Reed on it. Ears, who needs them? He pretends to lean on a walking stick as he makes puns with his own music. The mirrored sunglasses reflect his film clips. Her first crush's voice is the same, though, a seduction, the song leading her astray past the shuddering echo of a body that once could move to make her erupt and still finds grace in the spins he makes. He reaches into the front row and grabs a woman's hand. He pretends to kiss it and then licks the back like a languid dog, sniffing. He grabs another woman's hand and holds it against his pants. The women laugh. I got the lick. I got the dick. Mona stops dancing and looks at him trying to find the boy she spent so long dreaming up. She goes to the bar and searches the room again for Michelle. Scott Kahn invites a couple of women from the audience up on stage. It's nice to see some familiar faces in the crowd, he says. The bouncer who has spent the night hauling women off stage stands back with his arms crossed. The women can really dance, former lovers with scores to settle. As they move, Mona recognises them, the girls from the video clips. They take over the stage. The band fades. During the chorus, one of the women faces the crowd and waggles her little pinky. I just can't get it up. I just can't get it up. She mimes masturbating a phantom as she yawns. Maybe I would blind the girl who is drowning in the silence she turns to grey into a cold stare into a storm I have to be wake up to anger and mixed emotions Michelle looks exactly the same. People are meant to get older, wider. That's generally what happens, Mona says. In the toilets, there are ugly lights and a queue of a few. Women take off layers of draping material, sweating dark onto the synthetics. Everyone is in fluoro with fake tan lines and long shaggy hair. A woman is waving a pair of lace undies under the dryer. I can't believe it. 
I was so excited to see Bruce, I wet myself. The woman steps her feet into the holes, wobbling, holding onto the wall for support. Mona dries her hands on her shirt as she leaves. By the time Ben Yat steps up on stage, the women have melted, butter-like, into their memories. Sparkling fumes. They dance like they once did and grab friends with the same looks on their faces. The woman with the wet undies grabs Mona's arm, pulling her to the dance floor. She whiplashes Michelle with her hair as she twirls, as if she has some kind of contract with the band. She owns them and they owe her, because she was there when it all started. Mona grabs Michelle's arm while the women around them become wild things. They kick their shoes off. Robot dancing and getting into the groove and dancing in the summer rain and walking like an Egyptian. Seducing each other as the men watch, mystified. The song builds to the women's rhythm of peaks and troughs, a ululation. A woman drags Benyat down to ground level and whispers in his ear. Mona hears him say, shh. The women throw off the night outside and look directly into the halo of the sun, the lights glowing above the stage. As they sing along with Benyat, Mona joins in with them and Michelle, the girls they once were, the secret spaces. She holds Michelle's hand. It's about knowing all the words, about knowing that they haven't been forgotten. Harcourt Valley Vineyards is now bringing their award-winning wines, ginger beer and raspberry mead to your door, offering free delivery in central Victoria and Melbourne. Their lockdown wine box special includes a combination of Riesling, Grenache Rosé, Barb Shiraz, Cab Sav and Mount Camel Shiraz. Check out their Facebook page or Instagram for details or visit harcourtvalley.com.au. Harcourt Valley Vineyards is a full-bodied sponsor of Main FM. Knocked on your door. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM. Before that announcement, we heard Barbados, which was a reading from Kirsten Crowth with music by Peter Fenton from The Models. Um, I actually have another two of those recordings to play. I think they're absolutely fantastic, but I haven't got time to, to play them today, so I will be playing them on the show in the weeks and months ahead. We are... Let's do prize time. Um, I have five copies of Kirsten Kreuth's new novel, Almost a Mirror, to give out, with a big thank you to her publisher, Transit Lounge. I've decided I'm going to give four of them away today, and I'll give another one away next week for people who subscribe from now until tomorrow afternoon. So, drum roll. Let's delve in. Uh, Scott Ashby. You have won a copy of the book. Maria Alessandrino, you've also won a copy. Scott Wilson, you have won a copy of the book. And Jenny Valentish, you have also won a copy. So that's four 
given away there. I've got another one here, but like I say, if you subscribe from now until tomorrow, that could be yours. You can subscribe on 54724376 or you can hop online, mainfm.net, and just click subscribe. It's not too late and it's all tax deductible as well and you'll go into the running to win that book but also a whole heap of other great prizes. Like I said before, there's a there's a lot of booze, there's a lot of wine, there's a lot of gin, there's a glamping weekend away, there's a full day of sound recording, there's three double passes to the Theatre Royal, uh, there's a lot of restaurant vouchers, photography, cafe vouchers, yeah, $10,000 worth of prizes to give away, so please subscribe and you will go into the running as well to win them. That is all we have time for, that has come round really quickly. Uh, my name is Paul J. Laverty. I'm on all the socials. The Quiet Carriage is also on Spotify and all good podcast platforms. And I'm on Fridays on Main FM from 1 p.m. Let's end this show with a pretty fitting track. This is Shivers by Boys Next Door, obviously featuring Roland S. Howard and Nick Cave, and it's where the title of the book came from, which was our focus today, Almost a Mirror. A big thank you as well for, for Kirsten for giving her time, and once again to our publishers for making those books available. Until next week, keep well, keep happy, and keep reading.
Yeah.